Now, if you want to maximize that integration and really get from shoulder to hip, the plank may be your best option. And there's both the forearm plank or you could go to the high plank. And I'm going to give you a little fun fact. The forearm plank actually gives you more activity than the high plank. So go for it on your forearms. You can go for this while you're listening to this podcast. How much of this podcast can you <laughs> listen to in a forearm plank? We should have actually had that as a goal at the beginning. Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Knowledge Podcast brought to you by the Wahoo Sports Science team here in Boulder, Colorado. I'm Neil Henderson, head of Wahoo Sports Science. And I'm Dr. Ginger Gottschall, director of Applied Research. And today... We are going to chat about sit-ups. Uh, well, kind of maybe, I guess we'll talk about sit-ups, but really, Ginger, I think we're going to talk about the core, right? Oh, well, the president's physical fitness assessment, though, is such a fun thing that we used to do. Definitely. How many sit-ups can you do in 60 seconds was, I think, really that primary measure of potentially trying to look at core strength, stability, endurance. But in reality, I don't think that really did the trick, did it there, Ginger? No, not so much. Because unfortunately, a sit-up is really only targeting your six-pack. But when we talk about the core, it's a whole lot more. What about those who have like, say, an eight pack and those who have like a not pack, like <laughs> N-A-U-G-H-T, like a no pack at all? Uh, well, let's just move on from those various examples and talk about the core today. Let's focus. Let's focus. All right. Pull back in. I like to think about the core as being three dimensional. So we've got our 4DP we talk about. Now we're going to talk about a three dimensional core. That means the muscles on the front, the side, and the back. And I really like to talk about all these muscles from the shoulder to the hip. Hmm. Well, do you think there's any of these core muscles that might actually potentially even go beyond the hip somewhere down, maybe like, you know, upper, mid-thigh possibly? You could. You could absolutely expand my definition into some of the rotators of the hip. We're talking about the ab and adductors. I'm, I'm going to give that one to you too. All right. I'm going to bring them into the fold for sure. All right. The core is super important because it really is the foundation of our musculoskeletal system. And let's do a quick anatomy refresher. I'm going to give you some actual anatomical terms at this point. If we are speaking about the six-pack, that's your rectus abdominis. So we're talking about the front of the core. If we move to the side, in the lateral area, we have the obliques that are superficial. And these are crossing. We've got external and internal, as well as the transversus abdominis, which are deep to those obliques. If we move to the back, we've got a whole set. We've got the erector spinae muscles, the multifidus, the quadratus laborum, the latissimus dorsi. And then as we move distally towards the edge of the core, more towards the thigh, we've got the muscles of the hip that are definitely included for flexion. So you're thinking trunk to thigh of the psoas as well as extension of your gluteus maximus. Don't want to forget that. Now, what else are you going to bring in to me? I don't know. That all just sounds Latin to me. <laughs> that it is. That it is. But I know you wanted to go further into the thigh. So what are you going to add on? 
Well, I think all the AB and AD ductors, just that internal external rotation of the hip. Again, a lot more Latin names in there, but we got kind of six of those deep internal and external rotators, as well as some of the things that we might be more familiar with, like the well, the TFL or tensor fascia lata, but that kind of then goes down to that IT band, which we know can be a bit of a problem for folks with cycling with improper positioning, especially or excess movement or lack of stability. Absolutely. So, and that is what we really want to focus on today. What is the importance of having a strong core? And I don't want to just say strength because it's not just about that. It's also about the endurance. How long can these muscles be active, especially for cyclists who are on the road for two hours plus? They can not only improve your performance, but they can also reduce injury risk. So I know you are very attuned to talking to athletes about the importance of the core. And what would you say if asked, why should they spend the time caring about this or doing exercises? What are going to be your three primary reasons for why? Yeah, the the first thing is really that you know, kind of old analogy used is the the weakest link in a chain is where things are going to break down. And if you think about the body, you know, we have our upper body, which we're actually holding onto the handlebars on a bike. We then go through that midsection, including that entire core area down to then our legs that are pushing into the pedals and being able to transfer that power from one area to another is going to require strength and stability across that entire body from top to bottom. And if your core through the middle is not well trained, then you're going to be potentially losing out on some of those performance benefits. And then over time, increasing stress and strain, which will definitely lead to some of those types of overuse injuries that can occur. Thinking about maintaining that integrity, you know, your your core has to be as strong as your legs. Otherwise, you're not able to get as much out as you could otherwise. And interestingly with that, the stronger your core, the less fatigued your legs will be. It sounds kind of crazy, but if you dedicate some time to these hip to shoulder muscles, you will absolutely see a decrease in terms of that pain that you feel and that fatigue towards the end of your ride. Definitely. And some of these, again, it's not just having like strong stomach or back. It's actually all these rotators and control that provide that stability to allow your legs just to continue to move straight up and down and not be moving more side to side if you have a lack of stability and control there, which can then cause problems, knee pain and whatnot. So definitely it's that whole area. The other thing that I think about is the term has often been, you know, abused, but functional training that it's, you know, we can put the fun into it or the funk into it. But the functional training is really about being able to do things well beyond just that kind of linear pattern. And so activities of just living, you know, great example, athlete that I've coached for a long time, Olympic medalist, world champion, Rowan Dennis, he and his wife, they've just had their second child. And so with that comes more time of holding some several pounds, several kilo little one that eventually keeps getting bigger and adds more kilos and carrying and moving around those, you know, children and babies require strength and stability that again, if he didn't have enough strength and stability built up to be able to just do his his daily living and his training, then he's going to potentially pay a price in having some injuries that could creep up on the bike and then, again, decrease performance and, you know, decrease fatherly duty performance as well, which wouldn't go over very well. Right. So it is critical for us to mention not only is a strong core that can be active for a long period of time important to produce, transfer, and control force from the core to the legs, 
It's helping you stabilize your position on the bike, not compromising your technique. So it's reducing your injury risk by supporting the spine. But the bigger picture to this is it allows you to do these daily things in life. That means sitting up from a chair, getting up from the ground, walking up and down stairs, which we don't want to take for granted at any point in time. So I think we've just given you a couple reasons why you want to pay attention to these muscles from the shoulder to the hip. Definitely, definitely. The other thing is, you know, if you do some of the longer type of rides or races, then being able to maintain your position on the bike is super important for for anyone out there who does, you know, long distance events that are in aero bars, that aerodynamic position is a is a little bit more stressful in certain ways. And if you don't have the requisite core strength and stability, you can no longer maintain that aerodynamic position for the entire event, which then you start having to push more air and then you have to produce more power, which if you're tired well you know what happens you can't produce more power and so you just start to slow down and so that's definitely for sure less ideal and the same thing goes whether you're on a road bike or mountain bike and being able to maintain that that position on the bike and have good control stability out on the road is going to again allow you to perform better that's exactly it how many times a week would you recommend an athlete perform exercises specific to the core yeah, there's going to be some variation in terms of exactly like frequency. I would say probably no less than twice a week would be kind of on the, the minimum level to maintain uh, what you've got or maybe make slight gains. Uh, some folks, if you've got problem areas, might literally require some level of daily movement and activity, though, to basically make the gains to stay healthy and be able to improve performance. So there is a little bit of a range there, but for sure, a couple times a week up to daily. And how long would you say any given session might be, Ginger? What, what would you typically think? I think that is such an excellent question. If you are wanting to make it a daily routine, then I think the ideal time is actually at the end of a ride or the end of some sort of cardio activity, even if it's just a long walk out with your family and the dog. Because you're already warm and then you could just literally, it could be a five minute bout of a couple of exercises. On the other end of that, I would actually not recommend longer than 30 minutes. I don't think a core routine should extend past that 30 minute mark. You can really hit all these target points without going overboard. And I also want to mention just the difference between exercises and which ones we may recommend over others. There's isolation exercises, which are really just targeting one specific area, either the front, the side, or the back, as opposed to what we call an integration exercise, which you're getting activity from the entire three-dimensional core at one point. So Neil, what would be an example of an isolated versus an integrated? Ooh, an isolated, like a simple, like crunch just on your back and just doing you know elbows to knees that's pretty much just straight on that that rectus uh abdominis just in that flexion and that's about it right exactly and we're not actually saying to not do crunches because they are still targeting one of the most important core muscles but that's not the only thing you would want to do so what would you say is your very favorite integrated core exercise. Ooh, if I'm looking in the, the anterior space, I actually 
like the bicycle crunch, not just because I like bicycles, but it is that across the body movement that is really great. So I would be, you know, thinking about this as going my right elbow to my left knee and extending then my right leg straight and having a bit of a rotation in my upper body, having my shoulders twist and then go to the other side. And the most important part of this exercise that I try to emphasize is going slow. Yes, controlled movement. But can you actually imagine a better core exercise for a cyclist than a bicycle crunch? That's really a top choice that we could give you. Now, if you want to maximize that integration and really get from shoulder to hip, the plank may be your best option. And there's both the forearm plank or you could go to the high plank. And I'm going to give you a little fun fact. The forearm plank actually gives you more activity than the high plank. So go for it on your forearms. You can go for this while you're listening to this podcast. How much of this podcast can you listen (laughs) to in a forearm plank? We should have actually had that as a goal at the beginning. And then we just want to finish it off. So if we talked about planks being three-dimensional, And a bicycle crunch, we absolutely have to recommend that one for cyclists, that gives you anterior as well as lateral. We don't want to forget the posterior chain, which is so critical for cyclists, especially thinking about that rounded shoulder position and a lot of weakness in the glute med. Yep. So when you're saying posterior chain, you're talking about basically my back, right? Everything behind the front of me. Exactly. For cyclists, it's particularly important to think about those muscles between the shoulder blades, your rhomboids, as well as getting into the erector spinae all the way into the glutes. And a glute bridge is probably one of my favorites for this because the cues for this is to lie down on the ground, pull your heels as close as you can to your hips, so your knees are bent up towards the ceiling or the sky, and you push through the heels and lift your hips up. At the same time, pull your shoulder blades together to open up your chest so you're contracting that area that's always being flexed in the cycling position. And then you're going to get the activity of that entire chain from the shoulder all the way actually down through those muscles that you loved to talk about, lower into the thigh, into the knee. Now, some critical things to think about here. Make sure that your hips stay square and you can add some instability for extra activity with just some alternating leg lifts. And then you're really solid from front side and back. Yep. And for those leg lifts, just like with the bicycles, slow it down. Right. Time under tension for these core activities is really your best bet. Instability can be added to any of them with multiple different balls or weights, but really all you need is body weight on this. Yeah, so a foam roller might give you instability in just really one direction, right? And then if you actually use like a big, you know, big fit ball, then you get that instability in all the directions. Absolutely. Ah, there you go. So you can kind of like progress yourself a little bit from the ground to a foam roller to a ball. It would be kind of like three levels of progression on that. I love it. So now back to it. How many sit-ups do you really think you could do in a minute? Right now, I'm afraid to even try. <laughs> Okay. Well, thank you guys for listening. We hope you you got a little bit from the core here. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Knowledge Podcast. We will be back with you next time with more information to help you be a fitter, faster, and healthier cyclist.